0: You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes. And I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. This is the Engaging Missions Show, episode 244. This week, we're talking with Andrew Foster about outreach and transformation.
1: But what about the least, the last, and the lost? Those who don't look like us, they don't smell like us, they don't eat like us, they're not around us.
0: Welcome to the Engaging Missions
1: Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensignal.
0: Thanks so much for stopping by, and welcome to the show. We believe that every missionary and church planner deserves to be heard and loved, and every believer deserves to participate in what God is doing. This show is made possible by generous support from listeners like you. Visit engagingmissions.com slash patron to learn more about how you can be involved. I'd like to say welcome to Gregory, Joel, Paul, Jacob, Vincent, and Mary, who all recently liked the Engaging Missions Facebook page. Thanks so much. Welcome. It's great to have you. If you're listening and you haven't done that already, visit facebook.com slash missions so that you can connect with us there as well. This week... We're going to be talking about a transformed life, how God is moving powerfully, and the need to reach out to those who don't look like this. And this is a passionate discussion with a passionate guy. I think you're really going to enjoy this. All right, today we have with us Andrew Foster. He's the director of Inspiration Ministries and also the owner of Cupbearer Cafe in Auburn, Indiana. He ministers in prisons around the country and shares the gospel through developing recovery residences and also engaging in the criminal justice system. Andrew, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Brian. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Oh, thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your your Saturday to sit down with me and record this. I really appreciate this. Now, as we're getting started, one of the things I noticed is that you've really chosen to minister in a place that I would suspect is a little bit difficult, specifically in prisons. And I'm wondering, why is it important for us to be near to people who are hurting or marginalized, those that society might turn their back on?
1: Sure. So, you know, my experience in my life, is one that I wouldn't have written, Mm. but God has chosen me for it. He allowed some great things. And one of those things was I spent some time in prison Mm. and, you know, I was saved in jail. I spent five years in prison. And during that time, God started giving me great revelation of his love and his care for people. And the funny thing about understanding God's love was at, at that time for me was I was actually in prison, you know, it wasn't I wasn't on the street. I wasn't just living life at I I was in a place where I was guilty, where I had been punished for my crimes, and to recognize the love of God in my life at that time. Like my my life was painted on the walls and he chose to love me and save me and care about me. And and in that time I started to understand that I was a part of this body, this body of Christ. And and at that time, you know, I wore a blue suit every single day, but there was something so real about God communicating to me that it didn't matter what I was wearing or where I was, but I was a part of the body. And in that time, I, I was released in 2011. And, and and even though there are things in our past that we, we sometimes just want to forget, you know, I remain tethered to the fact that you know, my salvation came at a time where I was at my lowest, where where the world was counting against me, and God at that time saw value in my life and reached out and saved me. And, and it's something that I can't forget, that the hope that He instilled in me is a real hope that is there behind those walls, and lives are being transformed, and and so we have a real ambition to see that same hope instilled and inspiring men and women behind those walls. It has a lot to do with what we do.
0: Wow, that that's incredible. As you're sharing that, one of the things that's going through my mind is the idea of remaining tethered to that. And I'm wondering, in, in your own life, in your own walk, in your own perspective on life, how are you able to remain tethered to that point and recognize that, that God met you in that place and also walk in the new identity God has given you?
1: You know, that's a great question. And there's a song, I didn't really grow up in church and, you know, my salvation experience was really through jail. And there's a song that, you know, we learned and there's a line in it about the Lord helping us to remember the joy of our salvation. And there is something about the time where the good news of the gospel was was presented to me, and as a person who really who really believed that, like my my life was forfeit, and then for somebody to look at me and say, you know, Andy, I know what they're saying about you and and what you're facing, but let me tell you about a, a man named Jesus who wants to redeem your life, and and that moment, that moment of salvation, you know, I, I recognize that. I was separated from God, and mm. and I just believe that as something as believers that we need to remember that there was a separation, that that a chasm that God put Jesus in a place to cover that chasm for us, so that we could cross over and be in relationship with God, and and I just don't think that story changes like it hasn't for me in in the in the ten plus years that I've been saved and the seven years that I've been out. Like I, I speak at churches all. The time and Brian, I'll be honest with you. I don't. I don't think I've. I preach the same sermon every time. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't. Yeah, there might be different verses and, you know, it might be different stories and anecdotes and testimonies are part of that. But it's the same message about the value that God saw in our lives. And it didn't matter if you grew up in church. It doesn't matter if your grandpa was a, was a pastor. It doesn't matter if you've been in prison. It doesn't matter if you're in the ditch right now, struggling with addiction, that he sees that value in your life. It, it, and for me, it's, it always kind of goes back to this idea that I was in a foxhole when Jesus came. He crawled into that foxhole with me mm-hmm. and he, he lived life with me. And, and even in the midst of my circumstances, I learned about church. I learned about Christian brotherhood. I, I learned about the word of God and I, I learned about the grace of God. And it's, some, it's something that I want to remain. Like I, I didn't crawl out of the foxhole and dust off my hands and say, I'm going to move on with my life. That, that is, That's where I do feel tethered to, that, that as we work with men and women in our community or even a, around the country, we are communicating a, a, a grace that that has no limitation, that there's no circumstance where it, where it is, is stopped or set in place. And so, so we are, we remain in a place to, to see lives be restored regardless of circumstances. And Mm -hmm. so it's, I mean, Brian, I'll be honest with you. There is not a day that goes by that I don't feel humbled by the fact that he afforded salvation for me through Jesus Christ. Wow. Not Man. a day. Because I mean it's not that I, I, I can say the words I didn't deserve it. Like I totally get that. Mm-hmm. But I, I just I came from a place where like I did things to be to be separated, just to be, just to be guilty, to, you know, to have your face in the paper, you know, to to feel like you were a criminal and an enemy of God. And to think that He he still chose to pour out his love on my life. I mean, it literally inspires me every single day to see that same hope be instilled or communicated to others. And that's, that's, a, that's really a foundation for us, extending grace to others.
0: Wow. Man, I, I'm loving your story. One of the things I'm thinking <laughs> about is, you know, some, somebody took the time to do that for you while you were in prison. They they took the time oh, yeah. to to minister to you to disciple you, to get you a Bible, all of those different things. Now you're doing that yeah. and, and more for other people, and I would suspect sometimes okay. prisons aren't the easiest places to work, and there are hardships and there are challenges. How do you keep going? How how do you remind yourself and then keep going?
1: Yeah, you know, working in prisons, criminal justice system. You know, the world would tell you that the percentages are not in our favor. You know, recidivism rate is is high. You know, the idea of change and transformation in people's lives, you know, it's, they're not seeing a lot of it, you know. And so in this kind of ministry, you are trying to grasp on to uh, hope and, 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 and maybe a measure of success. But the reality is, is that, you know, when I got out of prison, I remember for the first couple months, like I... God gave me a vision for ministry. And I remember that I I was creating expectations on what I thought it should be, mm. you know, whether it was an event, whether it was a an encounter, whether whatever it was, like I, I started creating these expectations. And I remember, and I'm, I'm thankful for that God did this because it didn't take long, but he, he kind of confronted me about that and said, you know, Andy, who are you to create your expectations out of the encounters that I'm bringing in your life? And And I'll be honest with you, Brian. I mean, since that time, like, I I feel like I am constantly reminding myself that any expectation that I have, I just need to throw it out the window. Mm. You know, that the idea of success or however the world has defined that, that is not how God has defined it. And Mm. so for us, we, we are dedicated to celebrating people. We are, we are, dedicated to celebrating even just small victories. You know, for us, it's, you know, where we rejoice, uh, you know, with the heavens when somebody accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But I'll tell you what, we we down here, we clap just as hard when a guy in our program gets his driver's license after mm. 22 years, you know, or we see a marriage that has been fall, you know, torn apart, you know, through addiction and, and, and hardship. And to see those lives and those relationships to start, you know, be restored, we celebrate those things. And, and that is where we've got to find hope in that. It's, you, I have these conversations is that if we're looking for hope in in people or in things that have the appearance of hope, we're, we're shaking the wrong trees. Mm. You know, we've got to go where there is a, there's just a desperation for change. And that's what's in prisons. When you're in a prison and you sing a song about redemption, and and you see men stand up and they they are waving their hands and they're singing at the top of their lungs. What you are seeing is you are seeing you are seeing men who are desperate for the words that they are singing to be real and to be mm-hmm. true. When they are saying words and I am redeemed, they are saying them as if they there is nothing more important than the confirmation in them that God says that I will redeem your life. And you do not. That is you can only experience that in so many places. Mm. And in prison is one of those things. And so those folks that go in and minister to, to prisoners or or even in the mission field or, or whatever it is, where there's just this least and this last and this lost mentality of these people that you're reaching, there is such a desperation for their circumstances to be different, for, the, for their lives to be different. And when they worship and when they reach how it is i mean it is it is with a true spirit of of desperation because they want what currently is to be different and god says i have afforded that for you and that is a message that we want to tell every single person that crosses our path
0: wow man i i, I gotta tell you i'm i'm actually a little bit embarrassed here. I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about h- how appropriately they approach worship and how haphazardly sometimes I approach my own walk with the Lord. And I'm wondering if you were talk to, talking to someone like me who's been with Christ for a while, and we're looking at this and going, you know what? I remember that passion, but I don't remember seeing it yesterday. What would you share with that person?
1: Oh, man, I have this conversation all the time. i <laughs> And it's, I'll tell you, it's different every time because people are so different. And, and you know, and Brian, I've got to be careful because you can, I mean, you can tell, right? It it, it kind of comes out of my pores. Mm-hmm. You know, there is something that Jesus has done to me that I am so, so thankful. It doesn't mean that I don't have the junk and the stuff that I deal with and some of the shame and some of the anger of just my past. It's not that I don't deal with those things, but I, I, I'll tell you what, there are many things that many ways that my life could have ended up and... And God just wrote an unbelievable story for me, and it wasn't one that I was expecting. It wasn't one that I deserved, but He did that for me. And and, and so when I speak at you know churches and I have these conversations that you're talking about with somebody, you know I I, I know a, a sometimes when I'm communicating it it, it it it's from an inspirational perspective, and mm-hmm. sometimes it's just a challenging one. You know that that. We talked about that joy of our salvation and and how do we get back to the root of that? When do how do we get back to the root of the time that we got saved? and we could do nothing but tell people about Jesus and our experience and for some reason that is that is dissipated and i, I there's no real great answer why that is. You know, I, I talk with pastors all over the place and and they say it's it's the culture and and it's the generation and in whatever it is. But, you know, for me, I, I preach a lot about empathy and, and I'll tell you why I think empathy is so important, you know, because we, we want to view the idea of the least, the last and the loss. Like some people, like, you know, the only person that can ring, reach somebody that struggles with addiction is, is somebody that's been through addiction or, or somebody who's been in prison can only, you know, be reached by somebody who's been through that. And, and, and I do get that. I, I, there's, there's an element of truth to that. But let me tell you something that I've recognized that we've all been through. And is that, that is that we have been separated and that we have been enemies. Like there was, I, I, if I hammer this in churches, I probably hammer it all the time is the fact that there was nobody closer to the door of salvation than somebody else. You know, if they were in the ditch, there was nobody that was at the doorbell. There was nobody that looked better. There was God did not take something like neat inside of us and make it really great. Like we were all just depraved and empty and seeking something, a transformation in our lives. And when we came to the cross, we all came from the same place. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure why we lose sight of that, but it's so important that, we, that we've used this word tethered, that we remain tethered, that we remember the salvation that We were in need of salvation. No, you know, no less than the, than the guy who's in the ditch right now, struggling with addiction or the guy that's sitting in prison, maybe with a life sentence. We were no less in need of that same grace in our lives. And, and I I don't know what it is. I'd love to just kind of push the button in people and, and make them understand that. But it, it is a It's an individual journey, you know? And so the idea of empathy is that everybody can empathize with the idea that we were far from God and that we were in need of a savior. Mm. And if we can get back to knowing that he truly saved our lives, that he was a refuge that we ran into, I I think we would, I think it would change. I think it would change our minds. I think it would change our hearts. I think it would motivate us to maybe be shoulder to shoulder with people to live life with people that are different than us and to start to recognize that we're not so different. Like it's not a it's not a us and a them mentality that it really is a us like it's a it's a we it's a we thing, you know, when it comes to the body of Christ, there's and in the scriptures, he promises that he's I mean, he literally says that he's reconciling the world unto himself. Like he's doing that. And so I just have such a perspective that there are people who aren't saved that are going to be. And and does he need me to be in that position? Probably not. But do I really want to be? I do. (laughs) I do. I want to be a person that is sharing that message and seeing a life be transformed and for the light bulb to go off or whatever it is. I want to see that. (laughs) And, you know, it could be anointing. It could be whatever it is. But there is nothing like engaging with somebody yeah, and, and you know, and, and for them to understand that you really value them, that you love them and you care for them, even if you don't know them. And I think God has a way of penetrating through all of that and then communicating to them through his spirit and just saying, in this much, I love you. Yeah, This person is loving you. They don't know you. But guess what? God is in the background saying, I love you so desperately. Yeah. You know, so I, I would love to see people just be inspired. That We put that on our t-shirts inspired by Jesus to inspire others. Yeah, man, it's so important.
0: One of the things that, kind of stood out to me as I was thinking about you because my mind I, I'm always trying to figure out how things fit together. And at first glance, I don't know that a prison ministry and a coffee house really seem to go together, but I, I have this sense that they're both part of God's calling on your life. What's the through line? What is it that ties those together in your life?
1: Hmm so I'll tell you what, the coffee shop was really not on my grid. Hmm. You know, again, as I was in prison and I I I knew God had given me a vision for ministry, and it didn't really have four walls. It just involved extending grace to others, really, because that's what I experienced. And and how could we do that? And, and you know, even at that time, we experienced revival in prison, and we just we saw people, you know, crumbling at the altar, you know, wanting to know Jesus. And and so when I got out. There was, there was a scripture in mind that was very prevalent, and it's common, but it just it was important to me in Proverbs 3 and 5 and 6, you know, acknowledge God in all your ways and, and He will direct your paths yeah. or make your way straight or whatever, you know, whatever <laughs> version you're reading. And so I remember when we got out, again, I didn't have two nickels to rub together. I, I, I had a mom and dad that are still together, still together today, that were good enough to put a down payment on a mobile home. In Auburn for me, and, and so I didn't really have any money. Cousin helped me get a job. I mean, I was still trying to figure things out, and but I had a desperation of sharing the gospel of, of an urgency in me to how can I connect with others to do this? Well, mm. I always was praying, God, I want to acknowledge you and what we're doing. I want to acknowledge you and what we're doing, and and I, and I'll and I'll sum this story up a little bit because it can be a little long, <laughs> but. While getting the ministry started, I met a I met a woman at the public library. And as we started sharing just stories with one another, she tells me that her and her husband used to own a coffee shop called the Cupbearer Coffee House. Cupbearer from Nehemiah. I was a cupbearer to the king. And, mm-hmm. and just sharing with me this Christian coffee shop thing. I thought it was really cool. And it just so happens, God placed her in my life another couple times. I met her husband, Denny. We had a great night together and you know, fast forward about, I'm only out of prison probably for 60 days. I met these people three times my whole life. They know my whole story. They invite me to a donut shop one Saturday and they say, Hey, somebody bought this big three-story building, downtown Auburn. They want us to come and put a coffee shop in the back. They want to do some retail stuff in the front. And they looked at me and they said, but we don't feel like God has given us this opportunity. Mm-hmm. we've been praying about it and we feel like god wants us to give this to you and i was like are you serious you know and so all of a sudden as we're acknowledging god like if you can envision it right your your foot is up in the air and you want to place your step and i feel like i feel like god uh, hands went around my ankle and he placed it in a specific you know in a specific area and i lifted up my foot and i see the cup bearer cafe and so at this time, you know, we, this is April of 2012, and by the beginning of May, I own a coffee shop, mm. and we're in the middle of downtown Auburn, we're, we're serving coffee, we're meeting people, and, and Inspiration Ministries wasn't a name that people knew, I mean, obviously it was new, that was a name that God had given me, but people knew the Cupbearer Coffee House, mm. and so people would come in, and, and they knew it was a Christian environment, and they would meet me, and they would you know, be glad that the place was open. But we would start to sow seeds about what the heart of the coffee house was, what was happening underneath the roof, what inspiration ministries felt called to do. And so we started building relationships. I mean, Brian, I I think probably a percentage of our donors, even now, the people that contribute and partner with us, they were coffee house customers. (laughs) There were people that came in, they just were getting coffee and they would, I, I would have people say to me, they were like, it tastes like Jesus in here. Mm. And I'd be like, what? You know, they would, they would, they would, it was tangible. Like the Holy spirit was at work and would come in and they would ask questions and they would say, what is this place? Cause it seems a lot different than a coffee shop. Mm. And we would talk about the ministry and what was going on. And so all of a sudden the cupbearer gave us a platform. It gave us a space not to mention seven months later, as, as the Lord told me he was going to give us the rest of the building beginning in 2013, we took over the whole building. And, and now all of a sudden we have like 14,000 square feet that we're, we're praying about and saying, how does this work, God? You know, uh, we're a coffee shop. How do we connect with people? And I remember we prayed. I remember we prayed specifically. We said, God, we've got this coffee shop. Mm. This is cool. But I don't know if I felt you called me to be a barista mm. and, I said, where are the people? Send in the people. And I'll tell you what, it might've been that day. Like they started coming in the doors. I mean, I'm talking guys that were homeless. I'm talking guys that were struggling with heroin, struggling with meth, struggling with addiction, whatever it was. And, and I, and this is me, like, this is us, you know, getting started and I'm kind of working every minute behind the counter. And so I'm making mochas and lattes and, and then somebody comes in and I'm sharing the gospel and a customer comes in and I'm like, Hey, hold on. Like pause right in the middle of the good news, Mm. go make a latte for somebody, come back. And then finish telling the good news. And they would say, yeah, I want to make a decision for Jesus right now. And there were people getting saved in this coffee shop at the tables in between customers. We're praying for people. I don't know if people felt weird, like what was going on around here. But we were seeing people and we had an opportunity engaged. And the cupbearer was a huge reason for that, because it had a name in it. It penetrated into the community, and, and there was a good feeling about that. And so they got to come in, and they would hear about the ministry. They would hear about the things going on, and it played a huge role in that going on. And and then, yeah, prison ministry is a part of that. What do you guys do? We reach in the prisons. Here's a newsletter that we put together that started out at 100, and, and now it's 400, and and, wow. and, and three months later it was a thousand. And then it was then it was two thousand and then it was three thousand. And, you know, in twenty five different states and we're going, what is going on? You know, in in coffee, customers became donors. Coffee customers became volunteers. You know, coffee customers became board members. You know, coffee customers became staff members asking what is so different about this? And then I got to share the same message that we got to, you know, I got to share earlier about the idea of, why do I not, why do I not feel this way? Why have I been in church 27 years? I've never been to prison. And why do you seem so, why do I read these articles from guys in prison and why are they so filled with joy?
0: Mm.
1: And I don't really feel that out here. And I've never even been in trouble. You know, those conversations would happen. And people would be inspired. And so it it gave us a tremendous platform to talk about the things that we really value, the least, the last, the lost, those who imprison, those who are in jail, those who are struggling with addiction, those who are engaged in the criminal justice system. It gave us an avenue to talk about those things. And and it was tough, it's confrontational. You know, Mm. that kind of stuff is, I'm not saying it, it swallows easily. right? You know, but people would hear it and they would go, they just shake their heads and they would nod and they would go, I think that is what I read in scripture. Mm. Why aren't we doing that more? How can I get engaged? You know, and, and then they would, and, and, they, and, they, and they still are, you know, they stuck yeah. around. It's really been really incredible.
0: We're, we're going to come back, I think, to the idea of engagement in just a couple of minutes. But one of the things I'm wondering, you've also developed what you're calling recovery residences. Can you share a little bit about those?
1: Yeah. You know, so in the community, when I returned, I kind of went on tour. I, I looked around and I, not only from the church perspective, but just the community and the resources. And I, I was wondering what is available. Cause for one, I'm a guy in transition. So what's available to me? I mean, that was an easy question to ask, but at the same time, I knew God had called me as a forerunner. Like that was a yeah. word for me. And so I was I was kind of blazing a trail and I was saying, who is out here to connect? Where are the safe environments, you know, for men to be in worship, maybe to work and women, you know, to connect it. How, does how that available and, and what is available? And so I just kind of started asking questions and it didn't take me really long to go. There's little to nothing, you know, out here for people that are just in transition and, and transition means a lot of stuff I'm talking about from unemployment, you know, to relational breakdown homelessness, addiction, like there wasn't a lot going on. And so, you know, as people started joining the ministry, we started developing a board. We started asking these questions. Where are the gaps? The gaps are easy to find. The gaps were connected to the criminal justice system. You know, they were connected to jails, prisons, connecting with the society, workforce development, like things that were there was actually literally none of. We were saying, how can we be a part of creating some of that? And so we just prayed about it. And I'd love to say that we're super smart, you know, and that we had an awesome plan, but, you know, just by faith, we would take, we would take steps. We would make ourselves available. And one of the things that continued to, to ring a bell was the idea of housing, you know, because we were working with so many people that, and these, and these were transient people coming in and out, you know, you disciple them, you, you love them, you care about them. And then, you know, when they leave the doors, they would be like, I hope I get to see them again, you know, mm-hmm. and and so it was transient. And so we started praying. What what would what would bring what would bring a couple things? What would bring relationship? What would bring stability? You know, what would bring accountability?
0: Mm.
1: And so housing was one of those things that we saw could produce some stability in somebody's life so that they would be willing to invite relationship and accountability into their lives you know, because if they're wondering where they're going to sleep that night, it can be super difficult. You know, yeah. if they're wondering what's going to happen in the next couple of days or with their job or their money situation or whatever, you know, it's just hard for them to engage. I want to share the good news with them. I want to take them through some scripture, but I, I know that I'm really only getting a percentage of their engagement. Mm-hmm. And so the housing part was something that we started to develop. And you know, over the last couple of years in the criminal justice system, and I don't know, sure, I'm, I don't really know if it's a national thing, but in Indiana, and it is a national thing, they're always looking for ways. How, how, can, we, how can we stop sending everybody to prison, you know, right. and h- how can we find out ways to reform, to rehabilitate, to transform, to, to inspire, you know, to change? How, what, what things can be implemented that can start doing that? So we're not spending a bunch of money in the prison system. Not, not overcrowding our jails. What are some things that can be put in place? And so, there's been a lot of talk over the last handful of years about alternative sentencing mm. or programming. Where can people be engaged instead of funneling through the system? Where can they maybe be diverted into a program where they can see transformation happen in their lives? And here we are, you know, in over the last, uh, you know, X amount of years. Where we said it earlier, recidivism rates aren't changing. Like the things that we've been implementing over all these years and you know, and there's people that are, you know, big advocates of faith based. There are some, you know, people that say, No, we can't really do that. You know, right. we can't really talk about Jesus or we can't do faith based kinds of things. But but as I'm having conversations with community leaders, whether they're Christians or not, the reality is is that we come to a we come to a fork in the road that says, Yeah, I understand that maybe there's difficulty seeing the faith-based part or, or how that's supposed to function. But guess what? Whatever we're doing right now is not producing results. Lives are not being changed. Mm-hmm. And the rates aren't any different. And so what can we do? And so th- what they're recognizing is that nothing else is really working. And so they're looking at the faith community and saying, okay, let's try it. You know, we'll, we'll put a couple guys in a house under your supervision and we'll see what happens. And what they're seeing around the country is that in faith-based transitional homes, recovery residences, they are seeing results. And they're not just seeing people be clean or sober. They're seeing lives be restored. They're fe- seeing families be restored. They're, they're seeing people take responsibility for, you know, transportation and and, and, you know, reinstatement fees and getting jobs and, and being contributors to the community again. Mm. And so the more that we've seen results and the recovery residence is a new language over the last couple of years that they've been using. There's an affiliation. It's called the Indiana Affiliation of Recovery Residences. And what we've chosen to do is we've just chosen to submit under some authority, some structure and some accountability that says, yes, we want to engage in the criminal justice system. You know, we, we want to engage with those who are coming out of jail and prison. We want to be engaged in the recovery community. And, and we want to do it by just not saying like, oh, hey, we just want to do all the Jesus stuff mm. and not speak any of your language when it comes to recovery. You know, any recovery model that you read, the number one element in all of those is hope. Mm. And what better way to instill hope in people than to introduce them yeah. to the good news of Jesus Christ? And so for us, that, that's our number one thing. We, we, we extend the grace and we instill hope in people so that they can understand what their lives are right now is not what God intends for their lives to be. And so we are speaking the language of recovery. We have accountability. We've connected with Mental Health America, you know, this affiliation of recovery residences. You know, so we've put ourselves in a position to build credibility so that we can work in the recovery community and people can trust that as a faith-based institution, we want to see transformation happen in people's lives. Mm. And it's really been, we've really seen some remarkable results.
0: So you're clearly passionate about this, and I, I really appreciate that about you. One of the things I'm wondering is if you were able to sit down with a couple of hundred people because that's the reality of the situation right now. There are going to be a few hundred people that are going to hear this and you could say, hey, you know, I, I realize that your specific calling might not be this, but I know that you care about missions. I know that you care about church planting. I know that you care about discipleship. What's one thing you might suggest that they as a group start to do to impact what's already going on?
1: Mm. So I'm reminded of... John 5 talks about Jesus going through the sheep gate to the pool of Bethesda. Mm. And I read that for a long time, the idea of the porticos and and the people and the lame and all of that kind of around the water. And it it says, you know, they're waiting for the angel to come and stir that water. Mm. And I'll tell you what really inspired me was that I saw a picture. I never really thought about it, but somebody showed me a picture of what this this pool of Bethesda, what this setting was. And what it actually was, was this, is almost like on a side of a mountain or a hill. And there were steps up. So at the top of the hill actually was the sheep gate. And then down these steps were the porticos, where that water was. And I thought about that. And I remind people, just as Jesus did, he came through that sheep gate and he stood at the edge of that hill or, or those pools. And he looked down mm. where these people were waiting for the water to be stirred. And I would encourage people in two ways. Number one, be where the people are. Mm. This is not a, if we build it, they will come generation. That was a movie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We don't, we don't need to create things with the hope of there are real things There are people out there hurting. And so if we're planting a church, let's plant it where the people are hurting. You know, if we're doing missions, then let's go where the water is being stirred. You know, let's engage with people because, you know, we live in a generation where people use the word community. But that word community means streetscapes. And how can we make things look better? And how can we renovate this building? But but I'll tell you, the community is the people. The community is the people. Just like we've said for a hundred years, the church is not the four walls. It's the people. It's the same concept. The community is the people. Be where the people are. As you're praying and as you are searching out what God wants you to do and the steps that you want to take, let me tell you, if your first step is towards the people, then you are going in the right direction. Because we know that it's, you know, the scriptures tell us that we can love all the people around us that love us, that look like us and dress like us. Like we can do that. But he says, what good is that? What good does it do to us? But what about the least, the last, and the lost? Those who don't look like us, they don't smell like us, they don't eat like us, they're not around us. What about those people? And if, because that is where the water is being stirred and they are laying around those porticos and they're awaiting, they're waiting for the angel to come and stir. And maybe that's our opportunity. Maybe we get Mm -hmm. to put our finger in that and stir that and be the hope and be the one that's extending grace and be the one that's telling them to get up off the ground, pick up your mat and walk and live life and live life abundantly. Maybe that is us. Hmm.
0: Wow. Well said. I got to tell you, I've really been enjoying this so much that I almost lost track of the time. And as I'm thinking about this, I appreciate what you're sharing, but we do need to draw this to a close. And I want to make sure that we give you an opportunity to share with us something that we can pray about for you so that we can continue to support you at least in prayer over the coming months.
1: No, hallelujah. And I I do appreciate that, Brian, because I know we are engaged in something that, it just it carries a lot of weight. Mm. We work with people. We're, we're in a ministry that is dedicated to loving people. And I'll tell you, it's tough. I don't have the ability, or at least I'm not very good at it. I don't, it's just not something I get to turn off.
0: Mm.
1: We have men that live in our houses. We, we see men every single day. We, we serve by facilitating Celebrate Recovery and Bible studies throughout the week. God has given me a... It, an incredible ability to pretty much remember every name that I I meet wow. and to remember faces. I carry those people with me, mm. and we do as a ministry. We care about these people so much and about their lives and the restoration that God's doing in their lives. And so, we just we, you know, if people would just pray, just for a supernatural feeling of His Holy Spirit just an energy. I I often say to people and I, and I don't, I I don't want to say this and be nonchalant about it. I don't know, you know, God has kind of built me to not burn out Mm -hmm. and I'm thankful for that, but it doesn't mean that I don't get tired. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do get tired and, and I know that, you know, for us, it's, we, we empathize with the idea that the harvest is, you know, plentiful and the laborers are few. And we work in a ministry where, you know, we, we're developing programs and we're putting people into place to serve. And in it, you know, it's hard to do all that for free. You know, we run recovery residences. We have staffing. We have people that bless us so much by, you know, taking enormous pay cuts to be a part of our ministry, maybe from their normal jobs or, you know, and so we live shoulder to shoulder with the people, The, the things that they experience. Those are real things that we experience, you know, and and so we we would love just prayer for just empowerment and for wisdom and mm-hmm. insight as we meet people every single day. Just pray for God's financial provision. God has been so good to us. I, I'll tell you, Brian. We in 2012 we were a 501c3 as our first year, and we had five thousand dollars in giving. And I'll wow. tell you, we did cartwheels. <laughs> I mean, we thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And, and you know, and now over the last seven years, you know, we've seen that increase to a hundred thousand, 150, a couple hundred thousand, you know, 250, 000. like we just, we've seen it grow. And I'll tell you who it's from, Brian, I'll be honest with you. It's just from people. I mean, I'll tell you, it's maybe less than 5% that we get from churches
0: mm.
1: or grants. 95% of our giving is from people who care about our ministry, care about the vision of reaching the least, the last, in the loss. I tell people, we get a lot of hundred dollar checks. Mm. We get a lot of hundred dollar checks, you know, because people just care. People care about what's going on yeah. and, and it makes such a huge difference, you know? And so just, just pray for God's provision, his provision of spirit, his provision of financial, uh, you know, stability and his provision of just development as staff and as people who really want to seek after the heart of God. Mm. But at the end of the day are just, people. Like we're just people, you know, like I am a, I I am a guy that does not have any special intellect, not a real super special way with words, but a guy that has a story that has been called to share that story as much as I can with who I can, when I can. Wow. And we're really committed to that as a ministry.
0: Yeah. Good stuff. Thank you for doing that. And for, for those of you that are listening, I would like to encourage you to do two things. First, make sure that you do take a minute to pray for Andrew. Maybe just pause the recording right now and do that. Pray for him and the family and the ministry. And second... If what he's sharing is connected with you and you'd like to be a part of that, make sure that you tap through to the show notes and we'll have links so that you can find his website and some ways that you can connect with him so that if God's calling you to be part of that ministry in some kind of partnership, that you have that opportunity. Andrew, I want to say thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. It's been incredibly encouraging and challenging to me. And I I hope and I pray that it does the same for our listeners.
1: Hallelujah. Thank you, Brian. What a tremendous opportunity. It really has been an awesome blessing to to spend this time with you.
0: I'd like to say one more huge thank you to Andrew Foster for being with us, to Jeff and Gabby for their continued work on this show and what they bring to making it better, and also to you for joining us. And specifically, I've gotten some feedback from several of you over the last couple of weeks, both with the survey as well as some individual emails and messages that I'm not going to share right here. But I just want to say thank you for reaching out. Thank you for the encouragement as well as the suggestions. I really appreciate that. Show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Andrew Foster. Or if you're listening in your favorite podcast app, there's a really good chance you can just tap or swipe or click however you get there to go visit those. That's where you're going to find links, ways that you can connect with our guest as well as some of the resources. So go ahead and check those out. Make sure that you come back next time. We're going to be hearing from Steve Shermer about walking in integrity when going to places where the gospel isn't readily welcomed. This is a really good conversation, and for some, it's going to be a really needed conversation. I'd suggest that you check that out. If you haven't already, the best way to make sure you don't miss that is to subscribe to the show by visiting engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. You can have it delivered for free. You'll never miss an episode. And if you have any feedback or suggestions for me, Anything that I can do better or anything that you appreciate, send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com. Glad to hear from you. I would love to get those suggestions as well as that feedback. So I look forward to connecting with you that way. In a couple of weeks, Steve Schirmer is going to be here. Make sure that you come back. You're not going to want to miss that. Look forward to connecting with you in a couple of weeks.